You must understand, though the touch of your hand makes my pulse react, that it's only the thrill of boy meeting girl opposites attract. It's physical, only logical. You must try to ignore uh, that it means more than that. All. What's love got to do? Got to do with it. What's love but, come on, you know what it is, a second-hand emotion? What's love got to do got to do with it, who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? Love is one of those words which conjure up a whole litany of thoughts and emotions. When things are going well, a love soars high among the highest platitudes of desirable emotions that we could possibly imagine. When relationships, however, when they head south, we begin to wonder. We begin to doubt the veracity of love and maybe even reject the whole notion of it because of the deep damage which it has caused us emotionally. What have been your thoughts? What have been your feelings about love? Is it wonder or is it tragic? If your heart has been ripped out of place because of what you thought love was, you thought it's only phony, you begin to sing those same words of that song, Oh, what's love got to do, got to do with it? Who needs a heart? Who needs it when a heart can be broken? It seems that the one who penned those now famous lyrics, that love may take a back seat to the whims of the impulses of a person's desires. Even though they had in mind this idea of romantic love, that it could be possible for a person to be torn and broken, not only outside of our spiritual life, but even inside the church. Some people that have been hurt so tragically by love in and out of the church begin to think that love is nothing but a second-hand emotion. So if love is truly second-hand, a third-place motivation for how we interact with people and even how we interact within the church amongst God's people, is there a problem with that? So today, we're going to talk about the place of love in the church.
the place of love amongst God's people. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. And here we first discover, here it is, that action without love accomplishes nothing. Action without love accomplishes nothing. Now, guys, I'm not sure about you, but I know how it operates in my house. That if I only showed my wife uh, how much I loved her only by the gifts that I shower upon her, that eventually she would turn to me and say, you don't love me. You're nothing but a gift giver. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Verse 3. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. You know, sometimes people enjoy being seen for what they can get out of the situation. Uh, some folks just want to be seen. It's very interesting that here in chapter 13 of Corinthians, uh, that it comes on the backdrop uh, of people in the church insisting that their spiritual gift was better than any other spiritual gift in the body of Christ. Some church folks would say that speaking in tongues is the best gift and is a priority, while others would insist uh, that being able to prophesy is better than anything else. But understand that gifting is not limited to that. Uh, someone would think that maybe their gifting of singing, because it far surpasses anything or any gift that anyone else may have, that their own individual gift of singing should be held high above everything else. Or it could be teaching. Or maybe you have a gift of compassion or even preaching, or mercy, or even the way that you uh, disciple someone. Uh, at the end of the day, because you or I, we may think that our gift is better than anyone else, we will put it up on a pedestal. People go as far as insisting that their gift and its place in the, in, in the church, that it must, it absolutely must take prominence above all others. Well, what happens? What happens when your gift is in competition with the giftings of others, all because you really don't understand how it all fits together in the first place? <laughs> well, what happens is that 
when we begin to lift up ourselves, when we begin to lift up our giftings as if, if it's all that and it is because of us that we get it in the first place, that it creates strife and division within the church. Oh, you may not be able to tell, but when you walk in the door, you can sense there's something wrong. This was part of the problem and the reason why Paul penned this letter to the Corinthians in the first place. It's all because of folks within the church saying, who's better than who, and who has a gift better than who else? But Paul says, listen to what he says now. Paul says that the absence of love makes a person noisy, not gifted, <laughs> and a non-achiever. Paul says that a person, that when they operate, they call themselves operating within their giftings, if there is an absence of love, that they are noisy, they are not gifter, and they are a non-achiever. Are you saying, what are you talking about, Mr.? Well, I know these seem like very harsh words, but I want you to know that they are derived from the heart of God's Word. In fact, the idea of clanging symbols, uh, that they were associated with uh, the pagan worship in cults. So one of the things that Paul may have in mind uh, when he wrote this about clanging symbols was the ting-a-ting-ting of the symbols that the cult uh, worshipers would actually do. I'm not sure if you are old enough to remember this, but remember the days that there were people running around the streets and in the airports, and they would have on certain flowing garbs, and they would have their hair bald-headed and a little ponytail in the back, and they have a little uh, thing in their hands, that ting, 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 ting. Paul says that is nothing but making noise. So if someone in the church were to speak in tongues, as they were doing here in the first century church, if you were prophesying without regard for building up believers, in fact, if you were to sing your songs, the great songs of Zion today, if you were to usher and even hand the basket to someone else without the regard for building up believers. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that you're nothing but a clanging cymbal. You're doing nothing but banging on a pot because it's all about you. Now, I, I, I must say that uh, many of you do great things for others. There's no question about that. You do great things for others, and according to the society uh, the, that we live in, according to the standards that were set in our society. The society says you're doing a great thing. Well, you are. There's much value in how you aid others in your career and how you help the bottom line of your company. But understand that I speak from a standpoint of God's Word of which mandates that everything must in order to glorify Christ, be empowered and purposed through the Holy Spirit. Everything must be empowered and purposed through the Holy Spirit. Uh, because if it's not, you're doing nothing. But taking a bunch of forks 
and plates and banging on there saying, look at me. What do I mean? If it does not have the intention of Jesus Christ, it becomes nothing but another title which you have sought after, you have obtained, and now you want to use for your own benefit. The Lord hears you or even witnesses your heart about how well you speak or how well you sing or how well you usher or even how well you turn the knob on the soundboard, God says, I'm not with that. When he hears about how well you display your wisdom along with your interpretive abilities, God says, uh, I'm not hearing that. When he hears about how much you have sacrificed for him, the church, or someone else, God says, I'm not trying to hear that mess. Because when he hears us do that, he interprets it all as being just for us. Why? It becomes clear that you are the focal point of your life. That the theme of your life is me, me, and more me. Because there is the, abs uh, the absence of the one key element that sets it apart uh, from being all about us. And what is that one key element that it must have? It must have love. Now someone may also say, well, you know what? I display love all the time. Yeah, you display love all the time uh, to your wife, to your kids maybe to your father, your mother, but you may not have the true love that needs to exist within the body of Christ. Does your love, really, tell the truth, take an assessment of yourself, does your love express itself within the body of Christ? Do you really love the believers? Do you really love the brother and sister that you're sitting next to, or is it all just clanging symbols? The most benevolent and grandest of our actions are nothing but silos of emptiness when they are compared with the strength, the power, the authenticity, and the intimacy of genuine love. What is love? What is love? Many of us are familiar with love in terms of this eroticism. This is that type of love which exhibits the unyielding passion in which you desire someone or something else for yourself. So some of you may love, but your bottom line is you want to get for yourself. That when you have this type of love, uh, eros, uh, uh, when this is in play, there is an intoxication that overtakes you. See, it's not about the other person. It's all about what you can get from the other person. Here, we can truly say that you are high. And you are high with the love that you're trying to get from someone else. And then when you come down, you know what happens, right? When you come down off of that uh, proverbial love high, and then you exist in your life sooner or later. A person that comes down off of their high, what do they want to do next? 
They want to do what? Get high again because they like the way it feels. But remember that this type of love is all about this person who is intoxicated out of what they can get out of the other person. We are not the focal point of love in our passage today. We are not the focal point of love in our passage today. So love is at the core of what the church does and who the church is. What Paul was addressing to the church at Corinth was, how could they possibly be a follower of Jesus Christ and not operate out of the foundation of love? Why are they doing what they're doing and they have not love, Paul says. <laughs> if you are in church and not operating out of love, you can sing your theme song, oh, uh, you can't sing the theme song, oh, how I love Jesus and the church. That is not your theme song. For your theme song in ministry is, what's love got to do with it? Ministry is hard. Ministry is frustrating when you don't operate out of love. Church becomes an unwelcome place when we refuse to allow love to impact us. We like the idea that church is a place of resources. It's a place of resources when we need it, and a place to show off. But love? I mean, come on, that's for something else. I always thought I come in and I leave and that's it. I don't have to love on anyone. But this, of course, is not true. Because I know many of you, some of you, some of you, you love God very deeply. I can tell. I can tell by the way you minister. I can tell your heart. Uh, sometimes you don't have to explain uh, your love for someone else. Sometimes you can just look at someone and how they operate within God's church and know that they love. Uh, you know what I mean? People don't always act like this. Because sometime in the church, people's minds and hearts are not on spiritual matters. It's on the flesh. It's on carnal things. But how can a believer miss this all-important aspect of faith? How can I miss it? How can you miss it in the first place? What could we be so preoccupied with within God's house and among God's people that we will neglect to love one another. After all, it was Jesus who prayed and insisted we operate out of love if we're truly his disciples. John chapter 15, please. John chapter 15, verse 9. John 15, beginning in verse 9. And this is Jesus, and Jesus says this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and do what? Abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Verse 12. This 
is my commandment. Now, this is the commandment of Jesus Christ to his disciples. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Right? What is his commandment? Jesus says, this is my command. This is not an option. And here it is. That you love one another as I have loved you. That you love one another as I have loved you. We have been uh, commanded to love one another by Jesus Christ who came into this world because God loves us so much. So then how could it be possible that we, the very church, the very believers who are supposed to be followers of Christ, forget this core principle? How can a disciple not love? If you're you're following after Jesus, how can you not love? How could love be placed last on the priority list in what a believer should do and how a believer operates? Do you love? But then Jesus goes a step further to appear more radical. John chapter 13, verse 35. John chapter 13, verse 35. Jesus says this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you what? If you have love for one another. Jesus says that one of the identifying markers of one of his disciples is whether or not they love one another. This is maybe why Paul comes down so hard on believers who do not express true love within the body of Christ. If there is no love, then you may not be a follower of Jesus. Now, I know that uh, people have placed various barriers before you saying that you may not be a Christian if you do such and such or uh, if you don't say this or that. But this is one of those defining markers which should clearly identify you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So we must ask ourselves whether or not we are under the lordship of Jesus. This is an important question now. Because it determines whose you really are and whether or not you are walking in obedience. So if you cannot love people within the church, then my question to you is, are you truly a follower of Jesus? Can you look at the person next to you and really say, I love them with the love of the Lord? I know, you're trying to figure out now whether or not you should look at that person. Okay. If you're already, like, sitting on top of each other, I don't want you to look at that person, right? Uh, What I want you to do, I want you to look at the person across the aisle or next to you. Look at that person. Look at them in the eye. And ask yourself if if you can really love that person with the love of the Lord. Then Jesus says in... John chapter 8, verse 31, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. So love is not an option for us. Love is one of the characteristics of us as believers, and it helps define who we are. (laughs) Now, I know you say that 
you love, but understand that this type of love in which Jesus speaks of, in which Paul speaks of, it is unconditional. Unconditional love is that deep appreciation. The deep appreciation and high regard you have for another person without expecting anything else in return. Now look at that person again and see if that's true of you. That you don't expect anything from them, nothing. But yet you have deep appreciation and high regard for them in your heart. Now remember that conditional love, on the other hand, is when you always want something out of the person. Oh, yeah, I, I love you, brother, and I love you, sister. You know, one of the things that really touched me, I, I think it was, yeah, it was last week. Uh, you know, Elder Davis and I, we were, we were talking, and he was about to leave. He got up, he says, he came and helped. He said, I, I just love you. You know, that really, that really touched me. It really did. And it touched me because I wasn't giving him anything, and he wasn't giving me anything. It's just that I love you. That's it. Unconditional love. Here, unconditional love, remember, you only love because of what you get out of it. But unconditional love, which you should have, which we have as God's love, is something that we willingly and freely give to another. The other love that we spoke about is all about yourself, all about what you can get out of the deal. If you are married, these are questions that you must ask yourself. Even if you're thinking about getting married, you must ask yourself this question. Is the love I have for you, is it this uh, eros in which I can get something from you, or is it this uh, agape love, right? Agapao love. Which one is it? Uh, the arrows is the rod, uh, the, the fact that I want to get something from you ladies. Look here. If a guy wants to be with you because he's looking at you saying, yeah, 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 I see what you got. Don't you want to hang out with me? Uh, if, if all he's saying, I see what you got and all this stuff going on, you know that it's arrows. He's trying to extract something from you. Nice way of putting it. So you run. Now, okay, you, you, we know you got to look beautiful. Gentlemen, you know, Pastor Scott, yeah, I know, uh, I think he's going to start working out because he wants to look beautiful for his wife, right? Amen? He wants to look buff because when she wakes up in the morning, look at him, she, she wants to see whatever she wants to see over there, right? Amen? Amen? Right? I, I'll just say that, right? So whatever, because I don't know. I haven't asked her what she wants to see when you wake up. So whatever she wants to see. So Pastor Scott, I love you, brother. I love you too. Amen. 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 So that, that there is this aspect of what I see, but eventually, especially when you've been married a long time, like other folks, you know that that love, it grows deeper. And even though you still, like, I, I love my wife, and I love to see her when she, when she wakes up, uh, that is, after she takes that bag off her head in the morning, I love to look at her, right? I'm like, yeah, uh, so uh, until you take that bag off, keep the lights out, uh, and then uh, after you get the bag off your head, turn the lights on, baby, because here I am, right? So I love to look at my wife. However, I want you to understand that the love that I have for her after 
uh, 30-some-odd years, and I'm 31, by the way, that uh, the, the idea is that it's a different love now. It's the same, but it's different. When I see it, I'm like, man, you got it going on. But I'm like, you know what? Nothing, nothing can destroy that. It is an unconditional love, even though she gets mad at me. And you know what? I want you to know, I always talk about her getting mad at me. I want you to know sometimes I get mad at her too. I want you to know that. Amen? I want you to know sometimes she makes me mad. But after 30 years, Lord help me that I'm still there and she's still there. Amen? But just like everybody else, y'all pray for us now here. So what kind of love do you have? Is it the one that you only want to extract? Or is it a love that you want to give of yourself? So guys, don't be mad at the ladies when they tell you what you got from me. What kind of gift do you bring, my king? Don't let this guy come to you without bringing gifts and more gifts. And if he gets tired of bringing gifts, then you go ahead and, you know, uh, later for you then, right? Well, that's not all the way right. And if you have issues with that, uh, please see us. We do offer marriage counseling as well. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So we should not place any conditions on people in order to love them. Amen. But conditions are placed on individuals because of morality issues. We must do that. But your love towards another person within God's church should be unconditional. Love, in fact, is one of the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It is a characteristic of a believer who demonstrates that the Holy Spirit is at work in his life. Look at that. You, you see the connection there? That you have Galatians 5, 22, 23, which says the fruit of the Spirit uh, is this. This is what uh, the Spirit produces in your life. And one of the things that it produces is love. So if you don't have love, if you're not loving, again, it may be indicative of the fact that the Spirit is not at work in your life. So Paul goes on and gives us a description of what love is and what it's not. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. <laughs> Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Paul says love is patient and kind. To love with patience means to do so despite the difficulties that you may experience while you wait. Because it's really easy to give up on someone when they don't perform the way that you want to, isn't it? It's interesting that, uh, that we see here that love, again, it's paired with kindness. 
kindness, however, has an aspect of gentleness to it. As Paul speaks of that kindness, restraint and patience of God, which should lead us all to repentance, according to Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Now what is fascinating is the fact that kindness was also used to describe, listen to this, goodness. Something as you would describe, for instance, um, a good meal or even a good bottle of wine. And this goodness, it means to be useful. Something that you could literally use. So again, Galatians 5, 23, you got, you got to look at this, right? It says here that love and patience and kindness and goodness, are, that they're all mentioned as being what? Some of the fruit of the Spirit. And if you have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, dwelling inside of you, then some of the results of the fruit of the Spirit existing in your life should be kindness and patience and love and goodness. So it seems that love is our starting point without which we have no solid ground. Paul goes on to say that love does not envy or both. Love does not envy, or in other words, it is not jealous of another person because when jealousy enters the picture, we all know what happens. Amen? Oftentimes, huge disagreements and maybe even fighting because someone else has what you desire. If a person with spiritual giftings are not true to their relationship with Christ, then there should be no boasting or jealousy or no envying. Of course, the jealousy comes when another believer seems to be attracting attention while people are overlooking you. You will begin to think that no one cares who you are or what you do. And I want you to know this is entirely untrue. When you begin to think about what you are not and what everybody else is, is saying about you and whether it's true or not, you have to ask yourself, am I operating out of love or am I operating out of self? Which one is it? Am I operating out of love or am I operating out of selfish desires? Proverbs 29, 23. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Again, what the Lord is telling us that whoever you are and whatever you're trying to achieve for the name of Jesus Christ, don't worry about it because what? God has your back. God will exalt you in due time. So in the meantime, don't put a monkey wrench in what God is trying to do in your life. And I want to invite you, if you have not heard the last two weeks' messages, after hearing this, I want to invite you to go online and listen to that. So we must look to the Lord to exalt us and not we ourselves. How can we who are supposed to love well become arrogant, rude, irritable, and resentful towards another when we have a gift from God? That what we have and who we are, it is God who has given it to us. And for that, we should be thankful. Now, on the other hand, the other extreme is also possible. 
So not only do we have individuals who want to exalt their giftings and be prideful and not have love, but God may have given you a gift, but you refuse to use that gift in God's church. And when you refuse to use that gift in God's church, guess what? You're still not loving. You're saying, well, what are you talking about? Look, if you are a believer in this place today, you have a gift from God. Why? So you can use that gift for the edifying of the body of Christ, the building up of folks within the church. So if you sit on your hands when someone needs your giftings, what you are saying is, I don't love them like I really should. Now I want you to know it doesn't make a difference how old you are. Whether you are young or whether you are older, the bottom line is God has given you a gift and you should not be sitting on your hands. Because when you hold back the gift, you hold back the love. I'll say it again. When you hold back your gift, you hold back God's love that he has for people within his church. Finally, at the end of the day, love will endure while all the giftings we possess for the benefit of others will come to an end. Love will last into eternity, but all these giftings that you have, look, uh, when, it's time to go, uh, when it's time to go to heaven, do you think I'm going to be preaching in heaven? And just in case you don't know, the answer is no. I'm not going to be preaching in heaven. This right here is only for uh, y'all. It's only for us for this time. When we get to heaven, you know what I'm going to be doing? I am going to be worshiping the Lord. I am going to be worshiping our Savior. That's what I'm going to be doing because in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God, so the Word is going to be standing right before me so there will be no need for me. Will there be a need for you to prophesy in heaven? No. Why? Because the Word will give you Himself. You will see Him. Your faith will finally be seen. We no longer have to quote that verse that says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When we make it into heaven, your faith will be seen. That's a blessing. Here we go. Verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But uh, when I became a man, uh, I gave up childish ways. And uh, newsflash for all you men, uh, if you are grown, you need to give up those childish ways. Amen? Amen? 
Okay, if you are a grown lady, whatever that age is, you need to give up those childish ways and do the thing that you know you're supposed to do, right? If you want someone to treat you like an adult, like you are grown, then you start acting like you are grown. Amen? Now, that's just an aside. I wouldn't plan on saying that. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Remember that the purpose of our gifting is to build each other up in our faith. When it is finally time to meet Jesus face to face, how could we possibly be still in the mold of building one another up? We just finished reading in Hebrews chapter 12 that when we make it into heaven, that we will be what? We will be perfect. But until then, we need these messages, right, to build us up. We need, to, we need a, a hand on our back from a brother or sister to encourage us in the faith. But yet, when we make it into heaven, uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 12 says what? We will be made perfect. The righteous will be made perfect in heaven. So we won't need all of this. Currently, we must face the fact that we don't always see or understand things in the way in which we will once we make it into heaven. In heaven, we will see clearly without the dimness of our current existence getting in the way. <laughs> so if someone were to ask you today, what's love got to do with it? You know what needs to be said. Someone asked you today, what's love got to do with the church? That our response should be everything. Love is what it's all about. When it's couched within the biblical understanding of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And for that, we can say amen.